1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to read verses 29 through 17 and 7. Chapter 17, verse 7. I won't be teaching on all of those verses today, but I want to read it to get the big picture here. 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning at verse 29. Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in Yahweh's sight, more than all who were before him. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were a trivial matter, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. During his reign, Hiel, the Bethelite, built Jericho. At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundation. And at the cost of Segub, his youngest, he set up its gates. According to the word of Yahweh, he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then a revelation from Yahweh came to him. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide yourself at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the wadi, or from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he did what Yahweh commanded. Elijah left and lived by the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he drank from the wadi. After a while, the wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Yahweh bless his word to all of our hearts today, 1 Kings 16. Today we're going to begin going through the ministries of two of the greatest prophets in the nation of Israel, Elijah and Elisha. Yahweh chose these men. They were special men. They were powerful men. They were men that were used by Yahweh. Yahweh worked through them to perform great signs and wonders upon the earth. They were Yahweh's prophets. The Hebrew word, just so you know, for prophet is the word Navi. A lot of times I call my son Elijah. I'll holler upstairs at him and say, Eliyahu Navi, let's go to work. That means the prophet Elijah. He has a very prestigious name. I don't want him to forget it. The name Elijah or Eliyah means my Elohim or my mighty one is Yah or Yahweh. The prophet of Yahweh was an inspired man. He was a special man. He was a man who could foretell the future events that were going to happen and even perform supernatural works. The prophet of Yahweh was Yahweh's spokesman. He was Yahweh's mouthpiece upon the earth. (coughs) Hebrews 1 verse 1 says that in times past, talking about old covenant times, Yahweh spoke to our fathers or our ancestors through his prophets. They were his spokesmen. A prophet knew secret things things that other people could not see or know. And sometimes they would declare those things. 
And a prophet of Yahweh was 100% accurate in his predictions. If a prophet's prediction or foretelling of the future did not come to pass, then you could know that he was not of Yahweh. You can see Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22 for that. Well, in 1 Kings 17, we just read a few verses in that chapter, we get the first mention of the prophet Elijah in Scripture. Yahweh's will, next week we'll talk more about Elijah. This week I want to look at the end of 1 Kings 16 and King Ahab. Knowing King Ahab will help us better understand the prophet Elijah's ministry. So Ahab, as we read, was the son of Omri. If you back up to 1 Kings 16, verse 25, it says that Omri did evil in Yahweh's sight. And it says that Omri did more evil than all the other kings of Israel that were before him. Omri was an evil, unrepentant Israelite king. He was a king over the northern house of Israel. Omri and then Ahab his son. There were two kings over the northern house of Israel where there weren't very many righteous kings at all. There was only a few righteous kings in the southern house of Judah. Mostly unrighteous though. Well, Ahab, son of Omri, followed in his father's footsteps as sons often do. Ahab was a young lad at one time and he watched his daddy Omri, live. He learned from his dad. He saw how his dad worshipped or didn't worship. He saw the idols that his dad made and bowed down to. It is important for us fathers to set good examples for our sons, for our children in general, for our sons specifically. I'm not talking about sinless examples, brothers. That's not what I'm saying. Our children, first and foremost, need to know that we are not Yeshua. We're not the Messiah to our children. Us dads should make that clear. We need a Savior. We need to be saved from our sins just like our children need to be saved from their sins. Amen? Amen. Well, at the same time, our children need fathers who are in their lives. They need dads who walk in the law of Yahweh. They need repentant dads. Penitent dads, dads that are quick to ask for forgiveness, loving dads, caring dads. It is inevitable that if a chain of evil begins, it is very difficult to break that chain. The sins or the iniquities of fathers generally and usually pass from generation to generation after. Thus says the end of the second commandment in Exodus 20. What I'm talking about is that if a patriarch in a family does evil in the sight of Yahweh, like Omri, the odds are great that his son will follow in his footsteps and his son's footsteps will be bad ones, just like his daddy's footsteps were. And that's because of the example that the son has seen from his dad. Well, the same goes for righteousness. If a patriarch in a family is repentant and righteous, the son of that father will see that example and likely follow in the footsteps of his dad in righteousness. I do want to point something out here. If there's any man that's listening to this sermon in here right now or listening by way of telephone or listening in the future on the Internet, 
there's any man that did not have a righteous dad, well, any of us that did have a righteous dad are no better than someone who did not. We're not more deserving. We're not more pure. If we had a righteous father, we got it by Yahweh's grace. Got him by Yahweh's grace. So I'm not here to throw off on anybody's father. I'm just here to preach the Bible and preach the truth from it. Let me also say that if your dad only set a wicked example for you, you don't have to follow in his footsteps. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 14 through 17, listen to what Yahweh says through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, Now suppose that he has a son who sees all the sins his father has committed. And though he sees them, he does not do likewise. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or raise his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. He does not oppress anyone, hold collateral, or commit robbery. He gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothes. He keeps his hand from harming the poor, not taking interest or profit on a loan. He practices my ordinances and follows my statutes. Such a person will not die for his father's sin. He will certainly live. Here in Ezekiel 18, we have a son that's described that had an unrighteous dad. But he decided not to follow in his unrighteous dad's footsteps. What is generally done? He said, no, I'm going to go in the way of righteousness. The opposite of that is just as true. You can have a righteous father. A righteous father can set a good example and the son can see a righteous example from his dad. And that son, instead of following in his dad's footsteps, can about face and say, no, I'm not going to do righteousness. I am going to commit all the evils that the prophet Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel 18. And the Bible says that son will not be delivered for his father's righteousness. He will die because he was not repentant and he chose to walk in transgression and wickedness and evil. So Ahab had an unrighteous daddy named Omri. Ahab didn't have to follow in Omri's footsteps. And any son today who has a dad like Omri doesn't have to follow in his dad's footsteps if you have an unrighteous dad or had an unrighteous dad. It doesn't mean you don't pray for your dad. It doesn't mean you don't be kind to your dad. It doesn't mean you don't hope that he's blessed with a new heart because you should hope if your dad is unrighteous that he's blessed with a new heart. Amen. That's what you should hope for. It doesn't mean you don't be those things to your dad. It just means that you can decide to walk in Yahweh's commandments instead of imitate your dad. You still love your earthly father, but you love your heavenly father more. Well, sadly, Ahab did not do this. He watched what his dad did and he followed in his dad's evil footsteps. 1 Kings 16, verse 30. It reads, Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in Yahweh's sight more than all who were before him. Imagine if that was said about you in the Bible. I want you to notice in verse 30, 1 Kings 16, verse 30, that the evil that Ahab did is called the evil in Yahweh's sight. Evil in Yahweh's sight. See, Yahweh looks down from heaven with his eyes and he sees what we're doing every day. Proverbs 15 backs me up on that. It says that the eyes of Yahweh look down, behold the earth, and He notices the good and He notices the evil. And if that verse means what it says, then that means 
Some people on the earth do what is good. And some people on the earth do what is evil. As the brother mentioned before, Yahweh sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That means there has to be some kind of difference between saint and sinner. A person that's repentant, penitent, walking in the law of Yahweh, and a person that is not. Lately I've been reading a book that's not in the Bible, but it's the first epistle of Clement to the Corinthians. Clement of Rome was an elder at the Church of Rome, and he was a contemporary with the apostles Peter and Paul. He knew Peter and Paul. He lived late 1st century A.D. Paul mentions Clement in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Clement knew Paul and Peter. He held them in high esteem. held those apostles in very high esteem. There was an early 5th century manuscript called Codex Alexandrinus of the Greek New Testament. And when it was discovered in the early 1600s A.D., Clement's first epistle to the Corinthian church was at the end of that collection of books in that manuscript. That manuscript contained the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. It contained the Greek New Testament, pretty much as we know it today. And at the end of those books was the first epistle of Clement to the Corinthians. It is even said by the early church historian Eusebius that Clement's epistle was read out loud to many of the early churches in the 1st and 2nd centuries A.D. Now I can pretty much guarantee you I'm in my second reading of it now. And I can pretty much guarantee that any Bible student who takes the time to read it will love it. I can't find anywhere, I should say I haven't found anywhere yet that I think contradicts Holy Scripture. And there was one point that recently stuck out to me in reading it that goes along with my sermon today. That's why I bring it up. And that is this. It's the point that we should live lives that are pure and holy before Yahweh in Yahweh's sight. And that's because Yahweh can see us from heaven whether we do evil or whether we do good. He can see us. In 1 Clement chapter 28, Clement writes this, Since then all things are seen and heard by the Almighty. Let us fear Him and forsake those wicked works which proceed from evil desires so that through His mercy we may be protected from the judgments to come. Sometimes we behave better when we're around certain people. Well, that means we should behave better all the time because Yahweh is always present. He's an ever-present help, amen, and He's an ever-present beholder or watcher upon our good and our evil. I remember Mom and Daddy when I would go spend the night with Grandmama and Granddaddy, they would always tell me, you better be on your best behavior, boy, when you go over to your grandmom and granddaddy's house. And I would take that word to heart. I always wondered, shouldn't I always be on my best behavior, daddy? But he wanted me when I went to see granddaddy and grandmama, especially. I was in their presence. You kind of see what I'm, what I'm getting at. Yahweh is not beside us physically. We can't physically see him. So that means we forget that he's present. But he's always present. He's always there. Clement even goes on in that 28th chapter to say this, quote, For whither can any of us flee from His mighty hand? Whither then shall anyone go? Or where shall he escape from Him who comprehends all things? End of quote. And then he quotes some of Psalms. Psalm 139, 7-12 that says this. Listen to this. Psalm 139, 7-12, David writes, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or the grave, 
you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, listen to this, saints, listen to this. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. That's powerful. Even the darkness is not dark to Yahweh. We can never escape His presence. He is always ever-present. And as 1 Kings 16.30 says, the evil that any man does upon the earth is evil in the sight of Yahweh. Ahab did evil in the sight of Yahweh. Sometimes when you're reading about Judah's kings and Israel's kings, it talks about a king and then it says, he did that which was right in the sight of Yahweh. Now, when it says a king did evil in the sight of Yahweh, I believe that. But when it says a king did right in the sight of Yahweh, I believe that too. I believe there were some righteous kings in Judah. I believe there were some righteous kings over the Israelites. Mostly they were wicked, but I believe there were some righteous ones. Righteousness and evil is not just righteousness and evil here upon the earth. It's righteousness in the sight of Yahweh, and it's evil in the sight of Yahweh. That's powerful. Now, I want to keep hammering this next point home. This point has been on my mind and my heart lately because it's a point of compassion. It's a point of mercy. It shows forth the tenderness and the long-suffering of Yahweh. And that is this. Ezekiel 18.23. I mentioned this last week. It says this. Yahweh says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, says the sovereign Yahweh. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives. That's our compassionate, loving Father, brothers and sisters. It is. So Ahab messed up greatly. But you need to realize this. You need to realize this. Had Ahab, if Ahab would have felt sorrow for his sins and bowed down in repentance toward Yahweh, Yahweh would have forgiven Ahab. He would have forgiven him. All of Ahab's sins would have been wiped clean and removed, as Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west. Yahweh would have never remembered all of Ahab's sins if he had been repentant. But sadly, though, at least at this point, we don't see any repentance in King Ahab. We may see some in a later chapter. We'll touch on that when we get there. 1 Kings 16.31 goes on to say that Ahab sinned even more Many translations say something like this, as if it had been a light thing to follow Jeroboam. And the meaning of that is, and as though it was not enough of sin to follow Jeroboam, Ahab went further. It's kind of a sarcastic remark. Like, it is enough sin to follow Jeroboam. What are you doing going further, Ahab? But as though it wasn't enough, Ahab went even further. Now you might wonder, well, who is Jeroboam? His dad was Omri, right? Ahab's dad was Omri. Well, Jeroboam was the first king over the northern kingdom of Israel after the split between Judah and Israel. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 12, 13, and 14. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, very wicked king. And since he was the first king over the divided kingdom in the nation of Israel, a lot of times when a king did evil, it was said that that king followed in the footsteps of this first king, the spearhead the originator, so to speak, of the kings of Israel. How did Ahab go a step further? 
Well, the Bible tells us in verse 31, it says that he married Jezebel. The daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. And then after he got married to her, he proceeded to serve and to worship Baal. Making a temple for him. Not making a temple or worried about the temple of Yahweh, but making a temple for another Elohim, another mighty one. Jezebel was a Sidonian. She was not an Israelite woman. The Sidonians stemmed from Sidon, the firstborn son of Canaan. Genesis 10, verse 15. The same Canaan that Noah cursed in Genesis 9 when he woke up and said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be. Earlier in Israel's history, King Solomon got in trouble by marrying some Sidonian women, among others. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 5. The foreign women caused Solomon, King Solomon, as wise as he was, the foreign women caused him to sin against Yahweh. Hello. Ahab wasn't a dumb man, brothers and sisters. Ahab was intelligent. He knew that he should not marry a Sidonian Baal worshiper, but he did not care. He did not care. He loved her, her beauty. His lust overcame his desire to follow the Heavenly Father. And her father, Jezebel's father, was the king of the Sidonians, Ethbel. Ethbel means living with and enjoying the favor of Baal. See, just like the Hebrew Israelites often had names that exalted Yahweh, Eliyah, Hezekiah, Yermiah, Yeshayah, the Sidonians had names that exalted Baal, Ethbel, and Jezebel. It's actually as a play on the name Baal as well. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought to myself, and I speak mostly to the children, probably the older ones more than the younger ones. I guess the younger ones need to hear it too. We're never too young to hear the Word of Yahweh, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Yahweh. And that, I think, faith can come when a baby's still in the womb. And I have proof of that with John the Baptizer. I believe he received faith there in the womb of his mother. So, you know, we have little babies and we think that they don't understand or comprehend. Listen, don't think that Yahweh's arm is too short that He can't grant faith at a young age. I'm not saying He does it for everybody, but I'm just saying Yahweh can grant faith in a little baby's heart and mind to where they're already, they already have a new heart. They're born from above while they're even still in the mother's womb. You may have to chew on that one for a little while. That's okay. Brothers and sisters, it matters who we marry. Amen? It matters who we marry. Ahab should have never joined in holy matrimony with a Sidonian Baal worshiper. He should have remembered what it caused King Solomon to do in 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, I believe that Solomon repented in the end. I taught some sermons on Solomon before. I believe he repented in the end. But he did marry many foreign women that caused him to turn away from worshiping Yahweh and he began to worship the mighty ones or the deities of his foreign wives. So I speak to the children today. Children, who you marry is one of the most, if not the most, important decision that you will ever make in your life. It is. You need someone who is comparable to you 
when Yahweh created Eve for Adam, Yahweh said, I will make a helper comparable to him. The old King James says, a help meet for him. That's not one word, help meet. That's two words, a help meet. A helper who is meet, comparable, suitable, like, resembles, matches. Those are all synonyms to that word. Eve was like Adam, both naturally and spiritually. And young men, when you look for a wife, you need someone like you. You need someone who matches you, both naturally and spiritually. The same goes for young women. Seek a man who is comparable to you, both naturally and also spiritually. See, marriage is a union. It's a covenant. It's a bond. A man and his wife become bone of bone and flesh of flesh. Remember when Eve was created? Eve was created out of Adam. That's why she's called woman, because she was taken from man. That's just not a play on the English word. There's also a play on the Hebrew words. The Hebrew word for woman there is isha. The Hebrew word for man is ish. She's called isha because she's taken out of ish. She was a helper that was comparable to him. She was like a mirror to him. Opposite sex, but comparable to him. He caused that deep sleep to fall on Adam. He opened up his side, took out the rib, and formed a woman, Eve. And then Eve came into existence there. She originated from the man. She originated from Adam. She was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And in the Bible, those are terms that constitute family ties like I look at Elijah. Elijah's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But when you get married to a woman, she becomes bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. It's an everlasting covenant. And you need to be married to someone who will share in your service to Yahweh. Now I'm going to praise my wife here in this next paragraph a little bit. And that's because, listen to this brothers, listen to this. That is because Proverbs 31 verse 28 gives us a commandment as a husband. And it says we're supposed to praise our virtuous wife. That's a commandment. So that's why I'm going to do this. The best decision that I've ever made next to serving Yahweh is to marry Tisha. The best decision I've ever made. She is a light in a dark world. She is my anchor. She is my helper that is comparable to me. She matches me. We share the same values, we share the same loves, and we serve the same mighty one. Does that mean our marriage is perfect? No. No marriage is perfect. Marriage is not fantasy land at Disney World. Marriage is not pie in the sky. Marriage is life. Marriage is learning to live with somebody who sins differently than you do. Marriage is full of ups and downs. It's full of good times and it's full of hard times. It's full of hugs and it's full of arguments. But it is a covenant that you make with somebody of the opposite sex. And that covenant should be a lasting covenant until death do you part. Now I've preached before, this is not in my notes, but I feel like I need to say this. I've preached before on marriage, and I preached before on marriage and divorce, and I preached on remarriage, and most of you, I think, know how I believe about that. And I realize that sometimes we make mistakes. A lot of us have made mistakes in our previous lives. 
and we married the wrong people and made the wrong decision. And Yahweh, by His grace, got us out of those marriages and allowed us to be equally yoked with either a husband or a wife now. And now you're in covenant and in union with. Praise Yahweh for that. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you thankful for that? There can be a renewing in that. All that being said, and I believe all that, my point is is that when we raise our children, we need to teach our children to seek out for a spouse, teach our boys to find a, a wife, teach our wives to find a, teach our daughters to find a husband that they can love until death. That they can be married with until death. I was doing a job in Social Circle the other morning and we had to get some parts from Social Circle Ace Hardware. And as I was getting my parts, I think Benjamin was with me that day and Brother Randy was with me. And we walked out and there was a very spry young man that was greeting us at the gate. He was 86 years old. And I went up to him I said, Brother, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. I'm blessed. I said, praise the Lord, brother. I shook his hand and hugged his neck. 86 years young. And he looked at me and I could tell he was so proud to say this and I let him say it, let him talk about it and I smiled. He said, I've been married to the same woman for 66 years, son. I said, I lifted my hands I said, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. That's so wonderful to get married to somebody and share that love and that bond with somebody for that long. I'm going on 19 years now. January will be 19 years. Seems like a long time, but 66 is a long ways off. Maybe one day I'll be able to say 66 years I've been married to the same woman. Now he blessed me with my wife. If a man finds a virtuous wife, he finds the favor of Yahweh. Sometimes I wonder if Yahweh loves me. That's just something I struggle with. And then... Usually I think about the good wife that he gave me. And I think, he has to love me. There's no way he couldn't love me. Or else he wouldn't have blessed me with such a good woman. Children, your life will be so much better if you marry someone who wants to serve Yahweh with you. I can promise you that. Someone who puts Yahweh first in their life. Not a Jezebel, not an Ahab. Somebody righteous, somebody that wants to serve Yahweh with you. Yeah. It'd be so much easier. Ahab messed up big time. Jezebel caused Ahab to sin even more. Ahab became a Baal worshiper. He built Baal a temple and set up an altar for Baal inside of that temple, 1 Kings 16:32. He also made an Asherah pole, which is another idol image of a Canaanite goddess. Ahab violated the first and second commandments. He had other gods beside Yahweh and he made idols for himself to bow down to. And in breaking those first two commandments, he broke all of the commandments with no remorse in his heart. No sorrow. Drank down those sins like it was a glass of water. Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh than all the kings of Israel who were before him. 1 Kings 16 verse 33. And it was a bleak time in Israel's history, a dark time in Israel's history. This wicked king ruled over the northern kingdom of Israel for 22 years. But guess what? Yahweh did not take a nap. Yahweh was still on the throne. Never think that Yahweh is unable to communicate and interact with us here on earth 
because he is silent for a period of time. Because a lot of times his plans are long-range visions, and we, you know, got this mentality that we want it five minutes ago. Never think that Yahweh's quote-unquote lack of interaction or lack of doing anything drastic means that He doesn't take notice of what's happening. Do you think Yahweh quit ruling for those 22 years that Ahab was sitting on the throne of Israel? No way. No way. Yahweh was still in control. Everything was working out according to His purpose, His plan. It was a sad time, but Yahweh sent a prophet. A prophet, Eliyahu. Eliyahu Navi. And I hope to begin learning about him next week. As I close today, let me bring a few more words of application. None of us are immune from falling away from Yahweh. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says that we must pay even more attention to what we have heard and is speaking about under the new covenant rather than the old so that we won't drift away. Yahweh needs to be at the center of our life Yeshua, His Son, needs to be our example. We don't have to follow the footsteps of evil earthly leaders. We can follow in the path of the law of our Heavenly Father. And so, if you have felt yourself drift away, even a little bit, the good news is that through Yeshua the Son, you can come back to Yahweh the Father. And Yahweh will forgive you If you repent, He's a good, good Father like that. So call out to Him today. Cry out to Him today. Everybody knows their self personally better than anyone else. You know where you stand with Yahweh. Cry out to Him today and ask Him to awaken your heart and awaken your mind to His commandments and His ways. You do not have to be an Ahab. You don't have to be a Jezebel. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. We'll come back here next week and uh, go to the next verses. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your love and Your compassion and Your kindness on us, Father Yahweh. Father, I also praise You for Your judgments and Your discipline and Your wrath. You are both a just mighty one and a merciful mighty one. And Father, I thank You for all of Your attributes. Yahweh, Father, help us to learn from these examples. Help us, Father Yahweh, that when we go through bleak times now in our day and time, help us to remember that you've got everything in control. You're not taking a nap. You didn't take a day off of your job. You're working everything out, Father Yahweh, in your time. And help us, Father Yahweh, to be able to walk, have the grace to walk in newness of life, not Father, following an evil footsteps, evil examples, but following in the ways of righteousness. Father, I pray that everybody would remember the scriptures that we read today. You'd be glorified in all things. For it's through your Son we pray. Amen.